Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. You're listening to the Gospel Attic Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Greg Bryan. I'm joined with my co-host, Jim Rusky. And tonight we have a special guest, Pat Keating, with us. And the three of us are going to be talking about the life of Jacob from the book of Genesis, chapters 25 to 32. There's a lot to learn from his life. But um, Pat, since this is your first time on the podcast, would you take a few moments and introduce yourself? Tell us Tell us how you came to faith in Christ. <laughs> Kicking and screaming. <laughs> that? Um, well, I was uh, born in Warren, Ohio, and raised in a rather um, loud, somewhat obnoxious Catholic family, kind of Irish, German, French. I mean, my theory is we're all mutts anyway, so... I don't get too caught up with that. Um, my mother was very religious. My father was not. Um, and uh, by the time, so I was raised, well, I was born in 1954, to put it within a historical context. At that time, starting out as a young altar boy, we the mass was still said in Latin. Then they went through Vatican II, and they changed everything. And in retrospect, I realized that it, I didn't think it through that thematically at the time, but in retrospect, I realized that it really caused me to question the faith. I mean, why should I believe this if you're changing everything? You know, now the priest faces us before he turned the back. Everything was very mysterious, liturgical, Latin, it, it, you know, it was a reenactment of the cross. And now it's like, you know, Father Steve singing, you know, lousy 70s folk music. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, 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 I, it was fairly easy for me to just drift away. I uh, eventually ended up at Kent State University where I got a an undergraduate major in philosophy. A little bit of philosophy will cause you to question everything, doubt everything, and it easily leads to atheism. And before I got out of Kent State, I identified, if I can use a modern term, as an atheist. Um, my mother still prayed for me. I would go home and, you know, try to engage her in intellectual discussions and debates, but she wasn't buying it. She would just say... Oh, it's good that you question your faith, Patrick. I'm praying for you. Your faith will be stronger when you come back. <laughs> um, and my father, he just, he didn't care so much. Um, well, eventually I met the beautiful and intelligent Mrs. Keating. We got married. Uh, I eventually didn't get into law school. And I, you know, you know how you plan out your life. And I figured, well, we'll have our 2.3 kids live in the suburbs, white picket fence, you know, that's the way it'll be. Um, but that's not the way it turned out because Diana had endometriosis. So we were an infertile couple. 
And we then had to adopt, well, we didn't have to, but we decided to. And at that time, there were very few children domestically for adoption. But in Akron at the time, there was Bethany Christian Services, which had an adoption program through Korea. As its name implies, they were a Christian adoption agency, and you had to get a statement from your pastor. (laughs) 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 For purely mercenary reasons, we joined a church, and I went through all the motions. I mean, I could could talk the talk, and we eventually then did adopt Ben. But throughout that proceeding, I slowly was starting to question my own skepticism and doubts. And then we had a rather tragic experience where we tried to adopt twin girls from Peru. This is in 1992. Alberta Fujimori was the president of Peru. The Shining Path guerrillas were engaged in a civil war. I don't know what we were thinking going down there. And it ended up in tragedy. The girl, we still don't know what happened to them. We got conflicting reports that they died of cholera, that that they, but there was a baby selling scandal. So who knows? So it was, it was one of those things that was very, um, very tough. And if you're not a believer, it's very tough. And so the, the day I told this to Diana, that because I had contacted the agency and learned this, Um, I finished off the better part of a bottle of Irish whiskey. And then I, this is purely God ordained. I drove to a Christian bookstore and purchased a Bible and decided, well, maybe this is, I can make sense. It didn't, you know, you have to be a spiritual man to make sense of scripture. Um, You know, I got bogged down. I got through Leviticus, but, you know, by the time I got to Chronicles, it was like, forget it. This is gibberish. (laughs) Um, But trying to work through that process and getting some counseling from a good Lutheran minister, we lived down in Suffield, uh, slowly started coming around. And I, I, I realized that there had to be a God. I couldn't identify as an atheist. That didn't mean I was a Christian. But I, there had to be a God. And this is a long process. I'm giving you a very truncated version of what I was living through for years. Um, and then we moved to Hudson, went to another, went to a Lutheran church in Hudson. And at that time, this is in the mid-90s now, Promise Keepers was big. And there was a group of men that went to Promise Keepers and they came back and their faces were radiant. And I was jealous. And I said, I want what they got. So uh, I was in a Bible course, kind of a, you know, Bible 101 for dummies, first time going through in a, in a, a rather um, disciplined manner. And so we went to Promise Keepers in Pittsburgh at Three Rivers Stadium, which no longer exists. And they had the altar call and... One of the guys just basically dragged me up and said, Keating, you know, you're on the fence so long. It's time to make a commitment. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is how I became a Christian. I I went to the, you know, answered an altar call. I didn't, I will say this. 
I did not feel like this was a Paul on the road to Damascus experience. I didn't feel any different. Two things did change fairly quickly. One, I cleaned up my language. There's something about lawyers. They feel if you use profanity, that makes you sound macho. Um, and and uh, that that fell away. And suddenly scripture made sense. And so now I've now I figure I'm still trying to catch up for all that lost time. <laughs> hey, Pat, just I'm thinking about the altar call that you talked about with the promise keepers. I'm thinking of some of our listeners might not know what an altar call is or what that sound, what that what that looks like. I mean, what was that? Was someone from the podium saying, come forward and it was Franklin Graham, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. And it was the opening night. Promise Keepers was like a Friday night, Saturday, and then Sunday afternoon they were done. And so this was the Friday night, kind of the opening. And they had a worship band and all of that. And, and you know, he kind of gave his testimony. And if you know anything about Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham. He was a prodigal. He, yes, the the apple may not fall far from the tree, but if the tree's on a slope, it can roll far away. <laughs> he, you know, maybe God shifted the ground and it rolled back. So, you know, it was easy to identify with him, but he just said, now's the time. You know, he says it, of course, in his more um, elegant Southern accent. Uh, but, you know, the idea of the altar call is, you got to come up. You got to get right with your life and give it to God. And you say what we call the sinner's prayer, which I'm not a fan of that, you know, the idea that you can say magic words and that's it. But I think the best sinner's prayer is probably Mark's gospel, you know, where the publican says, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that smelly tax collector over there. And the tax collector just says, have mercy on me, O oh Lord. I'm a sinner. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, that's it. It's like, I can't do it anymore. Now, you were just teaching on the book of Revelation not too long ago. And I'm wondering if Revelation 3.20 was part of that. Um, I can't remember, Pat, if you were talking about there's somebody else, that verse that says... I did not have that one. Uh, 3.20, is that the, the one the door is open? I stand at the and... door and knock. Yeah. Yeah. If, if anyone, anyone hears my voice... Right, right. And opens the door, I will come in and and be with them, and he with me. Or Yeah, that, that I think was Mosteller. But I did talk about in when I had the lead in chapter four, that when John has his second vision, he's caught in the spirit and transported to heaven, the door of heaven is already open, mm, mm, mm. which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and you one of I forget again. One of the letters to the seven churches is, "What I open stays open; what I close stays closed." And the door to heaven is open. So it's just amazing pretty... how it's amazing how the Lord works, and you're there at that stadium, and oh, yeah. the Lord's already been working on your heart. You've gone through some trials and tough times, and you're reaching out for some something spiritual, realizing there's got to be more than this. Mm -hmm. Just the right moment, a friend says, he's talking to you, Pat, and you yeah. feel, you feel the hand of God and you respond. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's yes, you you put it succinctly. That's, and we all have different ways that the Lord does that. He, but, you know. So for our listeners. We need much better than we know what we need. 
So for our listeners, give us a little bit of perspective. So basically, when you were like 18 or 19 years old, you said you identified as an atheist. Is this like in your are you in your 30s at this point or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I was. Uh, I think I was 40. I've, you know, COVID has really screwed up my, my memory. Yeah. So were you, were you ever like a hardcore atheist? Like, did you ever like want to debate? Uh, debate oh yeah, I was Christians? an obnoxious atheist. I was an obnoxious atheist. I try not to be an obnoxious Christian now. <laughs> Hopefully it's not part of my personality. It's just that it was the atheism <laughs> drew it out. Right. And, and I was. The other miracle of this is like you said that your friend kind of dragged you down there and usually those don't stick. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. obviously the Holy Spirit was working in your life uh, right. before this point, um, which is kind of interesting to think about. Like, and you mentioned like one time you read the Bible and you couldn't understand it because you weren't a spiritual man, but something happened during that weekend that made you a spiritual man, which is more than just, um, and that's kind of the way salvation works, right? It's like even somebody could mess up the gospel completely mm -hmm. but if a person is prepared and like we would say ripe fruit ready to right you know ready for the harvest yeah i mean like god can god can use anybody anywhere um you know so that's kind of a cool a cool thing so that was the beginning of your spiritual journey and then did you just take off from there and then did your wife just jump on board oh she got she 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 Beat me to the finish line uh, by several years. <laughs> I mean, so uh, she was probably praying for you. She, uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. <laughs> but you know, I was like on the fence for a while, so I was I was Christian adjacent. Got you. So one of the things we talk about on this podcast sometimes is the difference between outside in Christian growth and inside out Christian growth and how like on the outside, you can try to clean up your act and start going to church, stop swearing. You know, that a lot of times we think that's how we change and that's how the Christian life works, but the real Christian life and why we call this the gospel attic is it's really inside out. No, I absolutely. I, I, one of the things that Diana and I have done over the years after I became a Christian was that we worked in um, the juvenile, um, uh, I want to say prison, but it's juvenile detention facility. And it's easy to tell those kids that they're sinners and they need a savior. I mean, they've made a shipwreck of their life. They know that. But it, what's hard is to, you know, you can't work your way to salvation and the outside in, if I can just clean up my act, if I just can, you know, give me the willpower not to take that next drink or do the drug or do that. And I think that, well, yeah, the, what, what's gospel addicts? That's, and I think we're all addicts to a certain extent. And so we need to replace the, um, degenerative addiction with something more life-giving so i remember talking to some guy and he said i used to be an alcoholic that's why you always see me holding holding a water bottle i i used to hold a glass of booze now it's it, it's like i have to train my hand my body to do it you know um 
how do you how do you stop reading porn or other things you shouldn't read? You read the Bible. You fill your time with other things. You become addicted to to the good things, and you don't have enough time for the bad things. I, that's kind of the way I've approached it. Have you ever heard of Tom Thomas Chalmers? Thomas Chalmers was like I think a 17th century Christian, and he a preacher, and he was like a preacher at a really young age. Hmm. And made a profound impact. But he has a sermon that you can actually find online. And the title of the sermon is All You Need. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I, yes, I have. I have. I'm familiar with that. I they didn't recognize the name. Chalmers. And that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Is yeah. the way the way to get rid of a bad um, addiction is replace it. Right. With a better addiction, which, again, people can do that. They, they may go from drugs to um you know to alcohol or then alcohol to their family but ultimately we think you know the best addiction is to be addicted to to Jesus you know right. in the in the gospel and that's where real life change happens um Jim is there anything else you want to ask Pat before we dive into today's uh study no I'm trying to think about that uh, might relate to the whole life of Jacob who starts by trying to get a blessing for himself and at the end is blessed by god when he wrestles with him so but maybe <laughs> he was fighting with his brother in the womb yeah, yes yeah. yeah right yeah so let's 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 talk about the life of, da of jacob and let's th start at the beginning because it's really kind of interesting in genesis 25 even before he's born um he's wrestling with his brother in the <laughs> womb and um you know, it, it says um, in chapter 25, verses 22, I'm just going to read a, a couple of these verses and then we'll talk about it. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, which is kind of cool. She went to she, mm -hmm. she she took the question to the Lord and then the Lord said to her, verse 23, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And then it says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first one to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Boy, that would be interesting to see. So they named him Jacob, which means like heel grasper, I guess. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. So um, anything stand out to you there? Isn't that kind of interesting that even before he was born, we get to know a little bit about his personality? Uh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, the, the, it, it, the Bible, of course, when these early chapters are, we meet these characters, the names always indicate something. There's a meaning to it. And Jacob, the, the heel grabber or usurper, he wa wants to grab you and pull you down so he can get ahead. I've heard other people say it, it, it's synonymous with being a deceiver. And deception plays a big part throughout his life, at least what is recorded in the Bible. So it's it is very interesting just that you have this battle right from the beginning and uh and you know we learn of something about it from that as well as as well as uh, the name and but the two nations it's 
It's not just Jacob and Esau. It is their many, many descendants are wrestling in her womb. That's a, almost a poetic description. Hmm. And then I, I think the, uh, the last part of that is so important, too, to the whole story, because God tells her flat out, the older will serve the younger. Yeah. And she obviously remembered that. And clearly, at some point, passed that on to her husband, because that that whole that plays such a big part of the story. It does. So let me let me just continue on, just keep us moving forward. And then we'll, we'll pause it at different mm -hmm. crucial points. So then verse 27 says, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man in the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, right there, isn't that interesting? So basically, Jacob was indoorsy, but Esau was an outdoor guy. And Esau was a man's man. He was a man's man. And, and Jacob was a, a, a mama's boy. Yep. And um, and then you see how this plays into the whole narrative. It says once uh, in verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And then Jacob says, well, first, sell me your birthright. And this is where we start seeing Jacob living up to his name at this point. Yeah. And, and he says, look, I'm about to die. He's like, what good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob and Esau uh, gave Esau some bread and some lentil stool. He stew, he ate and drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Wow. What are you guys think so, thoughts on this? Well, I, I just wonder about this story. Do you think that at this point, um jacob would have known the oracle that his mother was told like do you think maybe his mother had said to him look i know you're the younger one but you're the one who's supposed to get everything and this is primogeniture right? this is this is a yeah. culture which the firstborn gets everything and so the birth of, and i and i i think there you could argue there may be a distinction between the birthright and the blessing but later right. on, there's an idea that maybe they are the same thing because it, the reference in hebrews kind of puts them together uh, where it talks although about here they're separate you know that esau at the end says you took my birthright now my blessing right um uh yes and then but i'm thinking of hebrews 12 it says uh that there be no immoral or godless person like esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal for you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing mm -hmm. to your point pat like two different things but maybe this was his uh i, I always wonder if jacob said I know a mom told me I'm the one who's supposed to get everything. I'm the one who's supposed to. Maybe this is just a way for me to kind of move things along a little bit. Well, bring it about. Now, I, I think I think your your supposition has a lot of merit, Jim, because one, we've already learned in the passages Greg has read that Jacob was the mama's boy. He was in the tents with the women, sticking yeah. around there while Esau's out there with his old man hunting wild game. Um, but then she also helps him, Jacob, deceive her own husband. Right, right. So that that strongly suggests to me, although the Bible doesn't say that Jacob was privy to the prophecy, it suggests to me that 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 she told him. 
So don't we see don't we see this a lot in the especially in the book of Genesis where um like God makes these promises, but then it's like the guys try to force it. They they right. they they try to they basically say, you know what, I'm taking this into my own hands. Right. Let me help you, trusting, God. <laughs> instead of trusting in the Lord, like they try to say, Okay, God told me this, so I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna force it. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, we just saw that uh, previously with uh, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, and the servant. Mm. She says, well, you know, God's promised us to have an heir. We don't have one yet. Obviously, I'm too old to have kids. Here, sleep with my servant. Yeah. Taking matters in our own hands, trying to find an earthly way to bring about what God's promised, because maybe they're just tired of waiting on God, and God's taking too long. So I don't know if it's that, or maybe Jacob's just a deceiver saying, hoo-ha-ha, this is my chance, and now it's mine, all mine, <laughs> uh, true to his name. Uh, who knows? But it, it but um, nevertheless, when you do get to the next chapter, the next part of the story, uh, Jacob could, and, and Esau wants the blessing. If to the extent the blessing and the birthright are conflated with each other, part and parcel of the same thing, it almost gives Jacob a right to say, hey, what I'm getting later when I see my dad is just what you gave to me. I, I bought this from you with this lentil stew. Um, I have I have a stake in it. I have a claim to it somehow. Um, otherwise, the story, I mean, I think that's part, I think that's part of the weight of the story why it's here before the later deception that comes in the next chapter. Yeah, and let's let's move on to that. But um, in chapter 26, some interesting verses, verses 34 and 35. Let's take a look at those for a second. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Barry the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. It's kind of interesting. It says, and... Does this have something to do with like Esau because of what happened? Uh, Esau's starting to go off the rails a little bit. Um, is he intentionally trying to grieve his parents, or do you, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like, why, why were they? Why were they? Why was it a Why did this grieve his parents? Because they weren't. Well, they were Canaanites. They were. They were. Uh, Hittites, and the, uh, which I uh, think I think was a type of Canaanite. Uh, uh, so they were. Um, so he wasn't supposed to be doing that, and they didn't. I think they didn't want that because later they have very strong idea ideas to say we want we don't want you Jacob to take a wife from one of the Canaanites. And then this little phrase is in here as a placeholder later because Rebecca uses that later to further deceive Jacob um, into sending off uh, further deceive her husband. Isaac into um, sending off Jacob. So this is like a little, maybe a little placeholder for part of the story that comes later because Rebecca is going to use that. And so we can fast, we'll get there in a minute, I guess we need to fast forward there now, but she'll basically use this idea of the, the daughter-in-laws, how painful they are to put a seed into Isaac's head that uh, to get to the, to make Isaac think it was his idea to send Jacob away, even though it's later, it's going to be Rebecca's idea to send Jacob away. And, um, she uh, uses this kind of these circumstances in her favor to, to, to make that happen. Yeah. And to, to follow up on your comment, Greg, when we do get to that point that uh, Jacob heads off to, to uh, Rebecca's brother in chapter 28, um, Esau goes and marries a, a, a Ishmaelite. He marries a third woman. And, it, and the way the Bible presents it, it's like he wants to really spite his parents. Mm. You know, I lost my blessing. That's going to be it. 
I'm going to marry another one of these pagan women you don't like. Pat, do you think that's the case? Because I, I saw, I thought exactly the same thing you did, exactly the same thing when I read that passage later. Uh, like now, I'm really sticking it to you. You didn't yeah. like the first two. No, you're not going to hate these, right? Yeah. But, but then I, I read some commentaries that said Ishmaelites was kind of like that was Abraham's other son, and so that was maybe more within the clan than the Canaanites were. So maybe it was an appeasement. Oh, I'm really sorry. Let me get back in your good graces by marrying. Uh, someone within the family of Abraham, you know, a descendant of Ishmael, uh, as opposed to a Canaanite. I get, I mean, it's, it's two different, completely different ways of looking at it. The first way is the spite. The second way is, I'm really sorry. I, I, and probably the first way of spite is more in keeping with the character of Esau anyway. Well, at least at this point, and near, near the end, I mean, and that we may not get there, but Esau and Jacob are reunited at the end of the story. and That's true. They hug and everything else. Um, it, it's interesting, though, that you, you know, we talk about Ishmael, Ishmael and Isaac. Um, it, by my counting, Jacob and Esau is now the third pair of brothers we have encountered in these opening chapters of Genesis. The first one, Cain and Abel, that did not go very well. <laughs> and then you have Ishmael, the half-brother of Isaac, and he basically has to be forced out. Right. And the commentators are all over the map as to how he was treating his younger half-brother. And now you have Jacob and Esau, and Esau swears he's going to kill Jacob, almost going back to Cain and Abel. Right. But we have a different outcome at the end. That's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. That's, that's a very, have you ever thought about this? Like, you know, we're so used to saying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It, it could have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Like it, it Or like, Abraham, Ishmael. I mean, yeah, the, at each one of those generational uh, 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 points, there's a, there's a varying off. You're either with the promise or not. Right. So let's jump ahead to chapter 27. And this is when Isaac is so old, you know, he couldn't see anymore. He's basically blind. And he asks his son Esau to go and get him something to eat so that he can give him his blessing. And uh, we do see Rebecca in play here in this story. You know, she remembered when God said, hey, the older is going to serve the younger. And she's going to make sure this happens. We, we don't have to read the whole story because I think most people will be familiar with it. You can read it if you want in Genesis 27, but it's an amazing story. Like, first of all, that the deception, the, the deception worked, <laughs> you know, I mean, this guy Esau must have been so hairy that you could put animal hair in, you know, on Jacob and, it, and, and he accepted it. And it almost doesn't work because he recognized the voice, you know, he says in his, you know, the, the voice sounds like Jacob, but, uh, you know, what do you guys make of this this whole um, kind of show? <laughs> well, the wolf in goat's clothing. <laughs> that's a good, yeah, a good title. Well, I'll give you just a couple thoughts. One uh, from the quick commentators I was able to read. Um, one is that um, Isaac really is using all his senses, right? That's all the, the five senses. The sight's going, so he's relying on all the other senses. But you could say primarily on taste, because in the previous chapter, he loves Esau because he loved the taste of the game, the taste of the uh, wild uh, game that 
uh, Esau brought back home. So he loved that. And then finally is his nose that gives him away because he brings him close and smells of the boy. He says, okay, smell like Esau. Here you go. Here's the blessing. But um, so there's an idea of like bringing it just to, as a literary element, bringing all the senses, which I think is kind of interesting. But the other piece of it that was interesting um, was the, the idea that there are, that almost out of the four characters here, no one is really good. It, it, everyone, everyone's conflicted. Every, they're all bad guys in, this, in, a, in some sense. And it reminded me of um, an old novel written by Tom Wolfe called The Bonfire of the Vanities. Oh, yeah. And he writes it's a classic. It's a classic. And he writes us about this. Uh, it kind of takes place on Wall Street and everything blows up. And I just remember seeing an interview with him um, once. And, and the interviewer said, you know, I read your book and it strikes me there are no good guys in your book. <laughs> he said, yeah, that's true. Every character, all the main characters anyway, are flawed. He said, no, there was one judge in some precinct in Queens or something that was a good guy. <laughs> but all the main characters in the book are all flawed, deeply flawed. And I thought of that with this because everybody is flawed. Rebecca is helping her son deceive her husband. Mm -hmm. the, um, Esau says, I know I sold the birthright. I want it anyway. Uh, Jacob is obviously the prime deceiver because he's taking his mother's advice and dressing up and trying to fool his dad. And his dad finally asks, are you Esau? Yes, I am. He's, he's flat out lies, right? And, um, and then Isaac knew that he was supposed to give the blessing to the older one, to the young one, and is determined to give it to Esau anyway. So they're all bad. And God is still using it for his purpose and his glory. It's just such a fascinating, you would just never make this up. It's just so, it's just so great how God works. But they're all, they're so deeply flawed and yet all recipients of free grace, I suppose. Yeah. I, th I think, um, you know, uh, a good title is The Deceiver God Used. <laughs> the Deceiver God Used. It's it's really a story of brokenness. Yeah. And how God use, God can still use broken people. And actually, I think that's a message throughout the Bible. Yeah. And it's funny because when we talk about the Bible, we're always looking for the hero. <laughs> and like yeah. you said, Jim, there's not really a hero here. Um, nobody's really being a, become, being a hero. And, you know, I want to I want to throw this out there because you guys were talking about, OK, so God told Rebecca that um, the older was going to serve the younger. Maybe she never talked to Isaac about it. No, I think she did. I think. But, she did. But then why would but then why would Isaac get so upset? Well, he is because he's still determined because he likes Esau better. Esau is the the, um, you know, man's man, and he just wants to give the blessing to Esau, and that's the way it's going to be. But there's a moment right in the middle of verse 33, it's almost like a light bulb goes off when he blesses, he first had blessed Jacob, and Esau's upset about it. And then 33, then Isaac trembled violently and said, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him? And then that this is the moment of recognition. Yes, and he shall be blessed. And I think that's the moment. And, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting back on, on it, to be quite honest with the sermon Tim Keller gave about this, where he, and he eliminates that point. He said, that's like the moment, the aha moment. And the uh, saying, ah, I was so determined to go against God's will. And yet, now I remember, and, I, and it's like a recognition of the oracle that was given to his wife saying, yeah, and he is the one who's going to be blessed. It's, that's the way God had planned it. Hmm. All, and, he, and he doesn't try to unwind it. He's, and Esau begs him, bless me too. Nope. No. And that whole thing against Esau is misery bad, right? In verse 39 and 40. No, it's good. Life is going to be really hard for you. 
by your sword you shall live, your brother you shall serve. Um, he's like, it's like he says, no, that's it's it, I, I, it wasn't what I wanted to happen. I was going to thwart God's will, but it, all along, this is the way God had intended, and it's the way it's going to turn out. That's interesting. Yeah, um, it's good. Let's uh, let's talk about like the the idea of brokenness and how we don't like brokenness, but it's a critical part of God's transformation process. Um, and we see it in Jacob's life. Jacob didn't want his direction controlled by God. He wanted to scheme his way through life, you know, and even though you may have great promises, God sees your flaws and he's not satisfied. He wants to change you and make you ready for what he's prepared for you. And then we get to, and we can jump ahead. Um, then we see, we see, we see where God starts to really interfere with Jacob's life in chapter 32 in verse 24, it says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. So let's jump to that story. And, uh, cause this is where I think, um, it's like, um, God allowed him to live out this brokenness, but but eventually he has an encounter, a life-changing encounter with God. Just like Pat did at Three River Stadium. Yeah. And it, I mean, people people tend to come to a saving knowledge of Christ through brokenness, not through comfort and wealth and where everything is going right because then you don't need them and, and in this story you think about it i mean jacob maybe thought now that i've deceived my father and i got the blessing everything's going to be hunky-dory because now i'm like the firstborn i get everything and they're all going to serve me and like he's got to run for his life and he's on the road and working for a deceiver his uncle for 20 years right <laughs> yeah so <laughs> his payback was pretty miserable for all his scheming what he got then he works for another deceiver laban who's a better deceiver than he is and it's um, it hasn't worked out that well. So he hasn't had that kind of peace and comfort. And so maybe all those circumstances, and then it leads up to this moment, Greg, you're talking about how he's wrestling with God. Again, again, Pat, reflecting back on your testimony, coming, the first thing you said was kicking and screaming, right? Yeah. And God himself is wrestling with him here. Maybe God's, maybe God metaphorically has been wrestling with Jacob for the last 20 years to soften his heart for this moment. So what do you think about, this statement that when God's ready to change you, it's going to hurt. <laughs> well, wow. Jacob walked with a limp for the right. That, that was my point. That was my point. It's like it says uh, in verse 25, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. Yeah. And he'd limped the rest of his life. But um, I mean, what do you think about that? Is that a principle that, you know, you see? kind of across the board it reminds me of sort of like pruning um or yeah. god's discipline well I, I i mean i don't know that there's a universal principle but certainly from all i see the anecdotal evidence is people that come into contact with the living god they are changed for the better but it does there's a cost there you know, there's a cost. And, you know, I would you have it any other way? Would Jacob have it any other way? I don't think so. 
I mean, if the cost of uh, getting right with God is he's going to limp, so be it. Yeah, he comes away blessed. Yeah. He does get the blessing. And what's funny, he had to deceive for the first blessing. Now that he, you know, that he wanted to give us right now, he's like, I'm just straight out asking God face to face for the blessing. And God gives it to him. Yeah. So he gets away blessed. He gets a new name. Uh, and then a marker forever and he's been brokenness forever. Right. Just as he's about to meet his brother, we think he's going to kill him. Now he can't, now he can't walk straight. Right. <laughs> so now you really need to depend on God because you're going to go fight your brother with a, with a bad hip. Right. So good luck. Right. But isn't that interesting that he wrestles with God, he gets the blessing. And then when he meets his brother who he fears is going to kill him, I mean, it's almost like the prodigal son. Jacob is. is the brother, but instead the brother rushes out to meet him and hugs him and kisses him. And it's and Jacob doesn't deserve it any more than any other prodigal. I mean, I, I love that story. Because it's it's so it's it's a mirror of the prodigal son in Luke. That's great. But but even even before that though, he divides his whole Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like he he's what what would you call it hedging his bets? Well, and he's also trying to appease his older brother. <laughs> right, yeah, he by sending all those gifts. Yeah. Um but you're right. That's a it is it is a really interesting picture of uh reconciliation and uh and it's interesting. Imagine the stories, you know, you can imagine sitting around the campfire that night um and him talking about like I'm sure Esau was like, what happened to your hip? <laughs> Why are you limping? Yeah. And you know, I wonder what I wonder what Jacob said. Like, hey, God, God finally broke me. You know. Um, but what what else as you think about Jacob as a whole, do you have any lessons um that you that you see in his life? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's all kinds of lessons. I think it's one of the things that jumps out at me is the symbolism of the goat. Jacob deceives his father by wearing goat skins. And then for the next several chapters, Esau wants to make him a scapegoat. Laban wants to make him a scapegoat. Everybody wants to go after him. Uh, and, 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 Jacob is still deceiving. I mean, Laban, maybe you could say he deserves it because he's also trying to deceive Jacob. But at the end, he's not the scapegoat. He he gets he he gets mercy. And he goes on as as Israel, the the founder of the Hebrew people. And so, you know, that just what you were saying before, Greg, is that, you know. It's through the brokenness and and the growth, and God uses a bunch of uh, imperfect, uh, deceiving people to accomplish His will, and maybe that's because that's all He has to work with. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, God has a, a plan for each one of us, and um, and part of that is He will humble us he will um he loves us so much that he'll do whatever it takes to to bring yeah. us back to him so so there so jacob is you know 
so Jacob's not all that bad. I mean, well, I don't know. What do, what do you guys think? I mean, he's known as, you know, a deceiver. And um, it does seem like he changes at the end. Um, well, is that a story of hope for all of us? Or what do you think, Jim? I think he changes. I mean, God clearly uh, meets him face to face, blesses him, call, changes his name. Seems like he still goes by Jacob until God does it again a couple chapters later. Mm-hmm. So really, you're Israel. And then this in 33, we were just reading when he meets Esau, they have this wonderful, you know, prodigal son moment, and then Esau embraces him. And then it seems like Jacob just maybe I read it wrong, guys, but it seems like Jacob deceives him again and says, Oh, I'll go with you, I'll follow you, then he goes yeah. else. Like he's still a little bit of that. This and so so maybe it's um you know, I like I like what you said, Pat. Like this, we these are the ones God has to work with, right? That the yeah. they're not, uh, and we've said it before, Greg. These are not meant to be examples to follow. They're not great, you know. Uh, the patriarchs of the faith meant to be in shining examples. They're meant to be examples of people who have received free grace, who didn't deserve it, and got it anyway. And I think about the um, in the last chapter of Genesis when jo- Joseph says, "You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good." Yeah. Right? And all this evil scheming and planning, God's still using it for his plan. And maybe if they hadn't done any of this, God would have brought it all about anyway, right? In his own way. But they did it this way, and God still used it as part of his plan. So um, we're broken. You know, he was broken. He was touched by God, and his hip was broken. But God uses all kinds of broken people to accomplish his ends. I think there's another lesson here, and it's it's the... uh... Well, I'll call it poetic justice that you see repeatedly in the Bible. I mean, when Peter cuts off the ear of the soldier in Gethsemane, Jesus says, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Then you look at Jacob, even after the reconciliation, because he started out as the deceiver, deception will now be inflicted upon him throughout his life. He's lied to by his sons about Joseph. And again, right. they use the blood of a goat to <laughs> deceive him, and and his so life, you, you the story of the, the way through. Yeah, well, and then when he uh, when he finds his wife, right, he has to work. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He Laban. He meets his match. Yeah. Yeah. It's like okay, you wanted you wanted to you know take matters into your own hand. I made the promise, and you wanted to hurry it up, and you used deception. So now, guess what? Deception's now part of it. It's, it's like, well, it's the same thing that God says to David after he has Uriah killed. The sword will never depart from your house. Mm. Mm. You know, you've chosen it. It's like you pick your own poisons yeah. and now you're going to have to drink the same cup. That is so true. Well, as we wrap this up, um, is there anything else? You know, we didn't get to the story of Jacob's ladder. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting one. I, I I did do some research on this, and um, from a Jewish perspective, they compare Jacob's ladder with the story of the Tower of Babel. Babel. Mm-hmm. That the story of Ta- Tower of Babel is man trying to reach God, right. building a tower up, and um, that there's, you know, the writer of Genesis is somehow connecting this ladder with that tower. Um, and maybe it's that, you know, um, the tower of Babel is man trying to reach God where the, where Jacob's ladder is God coming down to man. Yeah. 
Um, but um, any any other any other thoughts you guys have about Jacob that you'd like to mention? Well, on that story, I think the key is in verse 13. So this is Genesis 28, 13. And you were just alluding to it, Craig. Because uh, um, when he dreams of this ladder and the um, the ladder was set on earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That's verse 12. And then 13 says, behold, the Lord stood above it and said, and most of the English translations will say that God stood above, but the mm-hmm. Hebrew can be translated also. And I have a footnote here, mine. And, and, and that said, the, the Lord stood beside him and said, which mm-hmm. means God descended the ladder and came down to him. Kind of in keeping with your thought about the contrast of the Tower of Babel, us people reaching to God versus God coming down um, and, and and standing above. It's, right it's almost like a difference between religion and the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like it's like God with God like, hey, those guys are becoming really, really religious. We gotta mess that up. We gotta we gotta like confuse their languages and spread them out. They're you know they're building this tower to try to reach up to me, um, but um, the gospel is God came down. God came down, Emmanuel, God with us, and of course Jesus alludes to this story right in the New Testament, mm-hmm. isn't it? When they calling Nathaniel, you'll see angels and you will see angels. Yeah, and right in John angels. chapter one. Yeah, on the Son of Man. So he clearly says. I am the ladder. I am the bridge between heaven and earth, right? It's me. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really key part of the life of Jacob. I hope uh, Greg, when you start when you teach on this passage, you spend at least a minute talking about it. It's really cool. What do you think about when God changes his name? Do you think that um you think that that's you know how God wants to give us a new identity. And so like when we come to faith in Christ, like we have a new identity. Yeah. Uh, um, and so, um, so that's like significant, right? And and also a new mission almost. Yeah. You think where it happens, like, you know, Ab- Abram, you're now Abraham and the, you're going to be the father of many nations. Uh, you know, in the new Testament, you're no longer Simon, you're Peter. You're mm-hmm. the rock. Uh, Paul, you know, Saul, you've been persecuting the church. Well, now, Paul, you're going to be defending the church and spreading the gospel. So it, whenever there's a name change, it's 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 God saying, I'm giving you a new identity. And there is a reference to that in Revelation somewhere. Yes, there is. When he says, to him who overcomes, I will give this the white right. stone with the name that known only to him. Right, right. Uh, but also a mission. Yeah. And and so that's it. Yeah, that's that's great. That's Genesis uh, 32, verse 28 says, uh, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. God wants to give us a new identity as well. Um, well, gentlemen, if there's anything else you want to share, um, this has been a this has been a really enjoyable. Um, any any final comments you want to make, Pat? Um, well, first, just to thank you guys. Uh, this is a great thing that you're doing, and I was uh, humbled and glad to be part of it. And we could go on for a long time. This the hours passed quickly, but when you're talking about 
important things, the first things. Uh, it's amazing how you never seem to have enough time. <laughs> so thank you. I thought it's great. And I hope that the Lord continues to bless this ministry. Well, it's fun having you on, Pat. It really is. And we'll invite you back. Um, and if you ever want to, you know, since we're all leading this Bible study, this is a great like preparation tool. And so if you ever yeah. want to do it with the passages that you're teaching on, you know, we could we could arrange that. Jim, do you have any final thoughts? Just kind of echoing what Pat said, it can go on and on because it's just when you start reading the word and and Look, we're all part of this Bible study. It's wonderful to be teachers of the word and you learn by hearing the word, but this to study the word with a group of other Christians. So mm -hmm. it's just so important. I mean, you could sit, I'm thinking of Pat, your experience, and you say, I started reading the Bible, reading it from Genesis, I got to Leviticus, and it kind of petered out. And that idea of just, I'm going to sit and plow right through it, especially for somebody who's just trying to learn the faith. It's so, so hard. But when you read it, I think it's part of God's plan. You read it with other Christians and you hear, other people talking about it. As we've done this podcast, Greg, you know, I'll say, I think it means this. And you say, well, how about this? Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. And as we're, the process of discovery, as we're talking it through, mm -hmm. is, is exactly what God intended, the Holy Spirit illuminating us and, and or, or, or using each other to help the other one, right? And um, uh, Pat, with, with guests like you coming on to just help us kind of see things we wouldn't have seen and that we, in the process of talking it through, we see uh, uh, new and fresh. So it's it's just his his word is his. What's that verse? His, his mercies are new every morning. It is. Uh, I, I think I'm quoting it wrong, but I think his, his his word is new and fresh. And every time I read it, learn something new. That's Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail .com. Stay tuned for our next episode, and remember. On your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.